Success leaves clues, and in the Humans of Imperial podcast, we search for those clues in the stories of our alumni around the world. Savia Mari understands the value of stories, and in this episode, we have the privilege of hearing hers. Savia is based in Toronto, Canada, and she has a real passion for people and tech. She also has over 10 years experience in fintech product management, and we discuss everything from the importance of empathy and leadership to the challenges of doing an MBA while working full-time, as well as the skills needed to be a success in product management, highlighted by her current position as Director of Digital Product at MasterCard. Savi also introduces us to the concept of a hummingbird person, and we see firsthand how she's the perfect example of one herself. Here's what you can hear this week. Yeah, so my name is uh, Sarvi Amari. I'm based out of Toronto, Canada, and um, I have the pleasure of being one of the Imperial uh, Business School alumni. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm based out of Canada. I work for uh, MasterCard. Uh, I'm a director of digital product, uh, focusing on U.S. banks and U.S. fintechs. Something that um, I try to remind myself on a daily basis, and it's something that I try to improve, um, everyone, every single person in the world has some unique story if you ask the right question and if you're interested. When you do your MBA, especially in my opinion, when you do a part-time MBA, doing it in tandem with having a full-time job, yeah. it's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, when you go through that experience with everyone in your cohort and other people, there is a certain level of resilience that you build. And also, I think it actually made me a more empathetic person and a leader. Plant all those seeds, like you never know uh, when, when the plants will grow. I mean, I. When I was in Lisbon, I met with someone in our company and I learned some things about that market. And um, who knows, maybe at some point I work with this person, right? Like I think mm. it's being curious and uh, thinking about not necessarily what you can get immediately back to our point of around networking that we we're talking about, but down the line, there might be an opportunity that you can create this perfect role for yourself that you've always been dreaming about it. I'm Chris Roberts, and this is my conversation with Savi Ahmadi. And trust me, it's a good one. Savi, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Why don't we start with a bit of an introduction, and maybe you could tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, so my name is uh, Sarvi Amadi. I'm based out of Toronto, Canada, and um, I have the pleasure of being one of the Imperial uh, Business School alumni. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm based out of Canada. I work for uh, MasterCard. Uh, I'm a director of digital product, uh, focusing on U.S. banks and U.S. fintechs. Thank you for that. Uh- You've got a lot of experience, like a, like a huge amount of experience in what you do. Can I ask you to kind of talk us through your career to date? And then at some point, we'll talk about how your MBA fit into there as well. But I'm really interested to hear first your background and kind of, yeah, your, your story, basically. Yeah, for sure. Um, my story, um, I think I've done a lot of different things, uh, not necessarily, I didn't start in tech at the beginning. So I uh, moved to Canada from uh, Middle East uh, when I was 18. Um, I, when I 
came to Canada, I came mainly for university. So I studied life sciences. Um, everyone in my family are engineers. And my mom always wanted to me to become a doctor. It was, it was a dream that she had. And I started doing life sciences here at the University of Toronto. And once I started doing my internships at the hospitals, just as well volunteering, I realized I'm definitely not made for, for healthcare. I don't think I'll be successful. This is just not for me. Um, I still wanted to finish my degree. I've done a number of different courses when I was there. And then I decided very quickly and somewhat randomly to go back to engineering. So I ended up getting a second degree in civil engineering. Um, and my plan was to work basically in a family business. I grew up in a family of all civil engineers and entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, which I started. I mean, I started working for an American um, construction company um, and one other engineering design company for about a year and a half or maybe almost two years. And um, I decided to, again, pivot into a completely different industry. So the way that it is in North America is a lot of uh, banks they and consulting companies, they hire engineers mainly because of problem-solving skills. Mm-hmm. So um, there was an opportunity at Capital One here in Canada, and um, I decided that I want to pursue it. I was lucky enough to get that position. Uh, and that was really how I got into tech and product management. Um, I worked at Capital One for about seven years. And during my last two years that I was working there, that's when I decided to do uh, a part-time MBA. And I mm-hmm. joined global MBA. Um, from there, I worked in at a fintech startup here in Canada, um, especially as I was going through my MBA, there was a lot of focus on entrepreneurship. We had a module specifically about it. We had a number of great talks by founders that they would come and talk in school with us or even the online. Um, and that's how it piqued my interest to join the world of startup a little bit, because I thought that's the right time in my career to experience that uh, before settling in in more of a kind of a bank environment or a technology company. So I worked for about three years for a startup. Uh, that a startup got uh, bought out by a venture capital firm, by a private equity firm, uh, which was great. I, was, I, was, I had some shares, so I went through that. Uh, and um, after that, I, I wanted to go to a company that is more on the fintech side, really focused on payment technology. Uh, and we can go over this story later, but through actually one of the Imperial uh, alumni, I learned about my current role. And uh, in January of this year, I started uh, at MasterCard. And so far it's been great. And it's one of the best places I worked at. I am really interested to hear that story, but let's take it in order if we can. Um, so your time at Imperial, that was 2017 to 2019. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Cool. What what was it that motivated you, first of all, to do an MBA um, and also kind of a part-time MBA as well? What was happening at that point in your career that made you think, this is what I want to do now? Exactly. So 2017, um, I... I became, I, I was about to, I knew that I'm on a, on this, what we call in a stretch role, that the next level of promotion that would come to, for me would be a people management. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was already on that path. And at the same time, I was thinking a lot to myself, uh, well, I've been working for a number of years right now. Um, and I'm quite comfortable at my job. And I, I know how to navigate the organization. I know how to solve problems. But I was really craving getting exposed to different ideas because I think there is there is this thing that when you stay at a place for a while, 
it's it's easy to start thinking very similarly to the other people that you have around mm-hmm. you. And there are some good things about it, and there's something that are not as good. And for me, just the personality that I have, I, I need to have that a little bit of that momentum and a bit of challenge always in my career and in my life. So I started talking to different people and thinking that maybe I should do some sort of a master's. And the more I talked to people and I started just reflecting on my own, I realized if the next level of my career would be people leadership, um, and that's a direction that eventually I want to also go into, probably having more of a business mindset and a very polished understanding of the business world is, is going to be important. I also really wanted to get that exposure to a network outside of the Canadian network and the North American network that I had. Um, and specifically picking a school in Europe. One of the reasons was I started traveling since I was six or seven uh, to Europe because of my dad's job and vacations and all of that. And there was always something that for me was fascinating about the European lifestyle and then later on just the the market. And it's a market that at that point, I didn't get as much exposure to it. So I thought picking a business school in in Europe would be be a right approach for me, knowing that I really want to have that global, global view, especially as a leader that I want to be. And then I guess the last thing was I really thought hard about what is it that I want to get out of this experience aside from the business mindset and the business acumen? And for me, something that was important is I want to get exposed to this global viewpoint. I want to get challenged and mm. I want to have friends all over the world. Mm. Uh, I just came back from Lisbon and as I was telling you before, and I met with one of the Imperial alumni that I actually never met her before. And it was all just through the WhatsApp, me sending a message and saying that I'm going to Lisbon. Is there anyone around? And through that discussion, not only now I have a new friend in Lisbon, but I also got a perspective around the market in Portugal and how it happened that she was also working in tech, how that is. So um, those were kind of all the reasons that in the end, an MBA in Europe, and then for a number of reasons, Imperial was specifically the one that I chose. And mm-hmm. I think I forgot a part of your question, but you can, you can let me know now. No, it's all right. I've actually got, I've got a bunch of follow questions on what you just said. That was really interesting. First of all, I mean, I don't think people realize sometimes the network you get from doing an MBA or something like an MBA. But I think that's probably even more prevalent when it comes to a global part-time kind of MBA where you're not necessarily in the same room as all of your classmates all the time. How did you find building that network when it was, I guess, would it have been virtual most of the time? It was virtual. I mean, I um, twice, the, uh, I guess, once a year during those two years period, mm-hmm. um, we had a specific component of our module that required us to come uh, and be on, on campus together. Um, I, on the other hand, made the decision that I want to be on campus even more often. So I think I would I would come two or three times a year, at least during that time, uh, just to connect with people. I One year I came for um, International Women's Day and we ended up organizing an event with the school. So I try to use as many excuses as possible to be on campus. I love our campus. Um, but the thing is, I did not necessarily feel that I left out on that networking component of it because I wasn't there in person. Um, I think there is 
first of all, there's a kudos go to, to school and how they organize the program. I think the second was really um, everyone in my program and how willing they were and they are to just talk to you. Um, we have a number of different WhatsApp groups. I think the uh, overall business school WhatsApp group is about like 300 or 400 people at this point. Um, I would say if anyone considering a global MBA or they're already like started, really take advantage of that, especially now that this world of us going through um, two years of pandemic and everything being virtual, um, everyone now has the skill set and the willingness to do the networking um, in the remote world. Um, and I think given the fact that the network, my, my class was global, there was always depending, again, based on whatever ever I was traveling, there was someone at least from the school there. Mm-hmm. And part of it is really on you to see how far you want to take that uh, networking and how much effort you want to put into it. But I would say if you're in a new country, just reach out and see who's available. There are the WhatsApp groups, there are LinkedIn, um, and you can, you can always find someone to network with. I think the professors, they were really great as well. Um, and all of the modules, the way that it was structured, the events that we had all online really fostered that environment to just do the networking. But I think at the end, it's however amount you put into it, that's what you get out of it. So you really uh, need to kind of double down on it to get the most out of the experience. Mm. It's funny because you, you've automatically got something in common with people. I don't think people realize they can literally travel to a country, do a bit of a search or maybe LinkedIn or something and probably find people. And those people are going to be receptive as well. It's it's really nice. It's like, I know it's, it's really cheesy to say, to be honest, but it's kind of like an alumni family around the world. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to see. The other question I had, you mentioned that one of your motivations was that you saw yourself going into a people leadership kind of role. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of the time people end up in leadership roles where they're leading people by accident. You know, this term accidental managers, where people are just suddenly in this position where they were great at their job before, they've been promoted to be a manager, but they're terrible managers. They've just never done it before. They don't have the experience. Yeah. It's really interesting, I think, that you had the, the kind of foresight to see that coming before you got there. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I mean, I there is a book that... Um, I read years ago and I highly recommend it to everyone is called um, how will you measure your life Um, the professor who wrote that book also has an article article for version of that in um, that's available on HBR and actually our marketing professor uh, Andreas he I believe in one of his last lectures he talks about it Mm. Um, and in that book there is a part of it that he talks about the role of people leaders. And it's how it's one of the most rewarding jobs because, and then he talks about an experience with someone who was reporting to him and how every interaction you have with this person as a leader, it will impact how this person even interact with their family and friends and everything that comes after during their day um, with their family. Uh, to me, that really resonated with me. Um, I had a number of managers. For the most part, I have great managers. Um, and when I became a people leader, I ended up even having more empathy for, for, for managers. And now I'm very lucky that I work in an organization that 
I have an incredible people manager, I think by far the best that I had in my career. And um, I'm reporting to a female leader and she reports all the way, everyone in that kind of line of the leadership that we have our women, which is something that's very important for me to have um, that representation in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think one of the most rewarding parts of my career so far has been uh, seeing potential in someone and being able to have them to really recognize it, understand it. And the moments that I remember someone in my team a um, couple of years ago, he was nervous about presenting something. And then we went to a client discussion. He started presenting and he was so proud of himself at the end of it. And to this day, I still remember that feeling of gratitude that I felt to be able to lead this person uh, and to be able to in some way have a small impact in how this person felt and have the confidence that they can. So all of that to say to me, as you said, people leadership is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you think about it way beyond something that is just assigned to you and the impact that you have on people, I think it's a very uh, fulfilling role. Do you think the MBA had an impact on that? I mean, I'll give you a bit of background for myself. Um, when I talk about people landing in management positions and leading people back, so I'm kind of talking about myself a little bit. I remember my first leadership role where I managed people. And, you know, you don't get a lot of training directly in how to do that. And I don't necessarily think I was a terrible manager, but I don't by any means think I was a great manager, if you know what I mean. And then a little while later, I started doing my own MBA. And looking back, what I learned during an MBA kind of it made a huge difference to what I did next so I think I'm much better now but before when I didn't have that knowledge I didn't have that experience and and you know it kind of understanding what leadership is about and what managing people is about you know it's about them it's about the people uh, mm-hmm. I think it made a huge difference did you find that yourself uh, after you did your MBA yeah for sure um so one of the modules that we have at we had at Imperial was um a leadership mode module mm-hmm. I can't It was in our second year. I can't quite remember. And I believe there was also a continuous part of this leadership that as part of our career discussions with our coach we had. And from what I remember, at one point, I had to write this essay of a challenging moment that I had in leadership. And it was perfect timing for me because 2017, I got my first leadership role. Um, And same same as you, I wasn't necessarily right off the bat the best people leader. I had... Mm -hmm all the right intentions, but there are moments that I'm like, oh, I don't think I showed up necessarily the way that I wanted. And through that this um, essay, I actually talked about it. I wrote down, this is the mistake that I made and I elaborated on it. I talked Mm -hmm. about it, I believe with my career coach. Um, And that reflection and being able to get feedback, seeing what my classmates there wrote and what are some of the experiences that they had, all of that really helped me. Mm-hmm. So that's one component. I think the other one is when you do your MBA, especially in my opinion, when you do a part-time MBA, mm-hmm. doing it in, in tandem with having a full-time job, yeah, it's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, when you go through that experience with everyone in your cohort and other people, there's a certain level of resilience that you build. And also... I think it actually made me a more empathetic person and a leader in a sense that I got exposure to people from so many different backgrounds and cultures. So at any point, when you go two years, you go through that experience with people, you create this bond. 
and you understand that people go through so much in their life mm-hmm. and having that level of empathy is something that is so important and it just makes you a better people leader. And I think that really contributed because if someone would come to, to a meeting and they're not prepared, maybe if it was 2017 as me being someone very result focused, I'm like, why is this not done? Like mm-hmm. really focus on the task. And then as I grew through my MBA experience and had that exposure, I learned to really take a step back and kind of think of what are some of the other things that this person went through and then thinking about what kind of a leader do I want to be in these moments? Um, so I don't know if this resonates, but it's something that you just look, you just build a different level of empathy. And to me, that's very important for leadership. It definitely resonates with me. I mean, I totally agree. You're sort of, you're sort of results focused when you first kind of go into leadership, because that's just kind of what you think you need to be like, you know, you've got a job to do and you want to do it. But as you learn about these things and you know, you probably, I imagine it's sort of like being in the trenches with everybody else who's on an MBA and working full time and trying to do both things at once. So you get really close and kind of really good friends and things as you kind of go through that experience and you're learning these things, it's, it's kind of the worst looking back and thinking, Oh my God, is that how I, is that how I responded to that situation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, but I mean, it's one of those things, right? You have to like make the mistakes, you learn. Um, and I think the other thing, just having enough of the confidence um, and being authentic that you just go back to your team and say, hey, I did not show up well that day, or this was what was going on for me in the background. Um, and almost like apologizing and just saying that, hey, this is what was happening for me. Uh, I think it takes also a lot of like confidence to be able to do that. Like we're all learning and hopefully getting better on a day-to-day basis. It's one of those things I think as well, especially when you when you manage it, you, you don't have the confidence at all to admit that you made a mistake. It's really awesome. But I'm going I'm to need to move on. I think I could talk about this all day. Um, yeah. One last thing on, on MBA is that I do want to ask you, um, what would you say to somebody who's thinking about doing an MBA at the moment, especially somebody who's thinking about doing a part-time MBA? What, what sort of, what, what would you say to them basically? Yeah, there are a few things. So one is um, irrespective of part-time or full-time, but especially for part-time because you already have probably like full-time job and responsibilities, really be clear and think hard about the reasons that you want to do your MBA. And to me, your reason should not necessarily be, oh, because I want to get the next level promotion or I want to go to the big consulting firms. All of those reasons are fine, but your reason can be anything and everything. It's just a matter of being clear about those and then having those discussions with uh, with the admissions team and with other people if you're reaching out to alumni to make sure that you can get that out of your experience. Um, the second thing is make sure that you are, you're really, you're ready for that journey, especially the first year. Um, I would say the first year for me was the hardest in terms of the volume of the work and just getting used to um, this new almost life of full-time work coming home and then just start uh, uh, like working on your papers and studying and then the classes on all of that. Mm, It's a shock that, isn't it? It's a real shock to the system when you've got so much work piling up. Exactly. I always uh, tell my, my friends sometimes still ask me, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, the first year of my life was I would work, I would come home, go to the gym, then I would study till 11, 
sometimes I have classes the next day. So um, virtual classes, I would wake up at 5 a.m. And because my classes were 5, 5 a.m. ESD, uh, you could also do it 1 p.m. Um, I rewarded myself with pancake at 4.45 a.m. And that was my... Yeah, I'm like, okay, you take the, you get the pancake and then you can do your class. Um, and then I gave myself Friday nights off and Saturday, Sunday, I was studying. Um, so you just have to like plan that and make sure you're ready for it. You're going to have a lot of support. And I think you will get a lot of motivation from everyone around you in your cohort. Um, so yeah, think about that. I think like in my case, I, I was living on my own. I didn't have children. So it was more of the individual decision, but I have people in my class that they were parents. Um, so have that conversation with your partner, with your family about that as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, pick the school. I mean, I'm biased. I want everyone to pick Imperial because I had the best experience, but pick the school that really um, gives you the most out of what you want to get because it's a lot of investment based on your time. So you really, really want to make sure that you take advantage of it before you know it's, it's just blink of an eye. It's gone and yeah. years is over. And um, I have to say, I I miss the, the time that I had, even though I don't miss my finance or accounting exam, but uh, I still miss school. And it's funny, isn't it? The kind of the- really challenging and hard things you do actually kind of look back and miss a little bit of what you want. Okay. You mentioned earlier that about how you got your current job and you mentioned there was, there was alumni involved. And I'm actually really keen to hear the stories. Could you tell us how that happened? Yeah, of course. So I, during the pandemic, at one point I was doing uh, this talk on FinTech product management for school. It was virtual. And before the talk, one of the alumni, Aiden on LinkedIn, reached out to me and said, hey, we are working the same field. I'm coming to your talk. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we should stay connected. Um, and we exchanged a few messages on LinkedIn about um, our current roles at the time. And two years passed. Uh, at that point, I was, this was towards end of last year, maybe, maybe September. Um, I was looking for my next opportunity and I saw Aiden posted my current role on LinkedIn. And I thought, oh, that's a very interesting role. Let me reach out to him. And honestly, when I reached out to him, I'm like, well, I never met him in person. I don't even know if he had the time to respond. Who knows? But let me just try. Um, And of course, he's so great. And he responded right away. And he's like, absolutely. Like, let me like check in with the, I guess, the the hiring team. Um, And yeah, I applied for the role. I got the job. And um, that's, I mean, it's just so interesting how the alumni network uh, came into play into all of this. Uh, to this day, Avon and I have not met in person yet. No way. But we're good friends. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. And I think that there was also a lesson in there of, at that moment, I could have hesitated and said, oh, don't reach out to him because we never met in person, or he, I think he was a year ahead of me, so we didn't have classes together. Um, but I reached out to him and mm-hmm. everyone in, and that's the thing when these people, like people that do their MBAs together, everyone usually are motivated, results focused. They want to help each other out. You're a very similar type of characters. Um, so yeah, just when in hesitation and doubt, just reach out and people will respond. 
there's a really good message in that as well about how networking actually works, I think, because you connect with somebody and then two years later, something came up like, you know, networking isn't necessarily, it's nice when you get something straight back out of it, but that's not really how it works. It's, it's, you're kind of building relationships for the future. And at some point down the line, you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, but you know, be ready to take an opportunity. But I love that it didn't happen for a couple of years because I'm, I'm speaking to MBA students as well at the moment and setting up like coffee chats and things like that with people. And it, w- it would be great if everybody could get maybe a job opportunity or something they wanted from it. But for me, it's not necessarily the first goal of networking. Yeah, exactly. I think just being curious about people's stories, right? Mm. Something that um, I try to remind myself on a daily basis and it's something that I try to improve Um, everyone, every single person in the world has some unique story if you ask the right question and if you're interested. Um, Mm. And now I'm trying to approach every interaction that way rather than trying to think about it as a networking. And that was really like in the case of Aiden and I, Aiden genuinely reached out and and I was so flattered. Oh, I'm attending your talk because I thought probably there are only five people attending. And uh, <clears throat> I think that's why we we got connected. And uh, yeah, so do the networking, do it, do it right, do mm. it with the right intention. I totally agree. Everybody has their own unique story, and that's why we're here on this podcast now. It's what this podcast is all about. So thanks for that. Uh, so why don't we talk about your current role, if you don't mind? Could you explain to us what your current role is, the kind of work that you do? Yeah, so I <clears throat> work as part of the North American digital team, uh, and I'm a director of digital products. So essentially what I do is I work with U.S. Uh, issuers slash banks and fintech companies to understand what are the needs they have, what are the pain points that they are facing, and how the digital products that we have specifically on the pay- in the payment space can help solve their problem. So one side of really my role as a product manager is working with the users and the customers. And then the other side of it is working with internal stakeholders, internal product manager who would work directly with development teams and the business manager account teams to really kind of balance out all of these needs that exist there to be able to uh, ultimately offer the best solutions to our customers um, to to meet their needs. Hmm. I'm going to ask you the most basic question you probably ever had in your whole life. So a lot of students that we work with are interested in becoming product managers. It's not an area that I've got experience in myself. So the question is, what is a product manager? Yeah, that's a great question. And product management is still relatively a newish uh, kind of a job title that is in the in the market. And it can be very different things. You can be a technical product manager who on day-to-day basis work with software engineers on really developing the products that we have. So let's say the mobile and uh, mobile banking app that you have, there are a series of product managers and development team designers behind it to build that for you. You can also be product managers like myself that I don't necessarily work with software engineers. I interact more with the customers, the stakeholders, internal and ex- external to really tell the story of that product what is this product that we have? What is the problem that is solving and how can they fit into their business? So a product manager usually balances a few things. It's the user, what are the needs of the user? Um, and then the, um, the economics of the product. So if this product that we're going to put out in the market for the users, what does it really mean for our business? Uh, like what 
and what is the revenue that it brings us? How does it add value for the customers? So it's kind of like balancing all of those those uh, areas to be able to offer the best solution. And it's a little bit of really almost like managing all of these different components and the parties that come into play to bring a product into life. So it can be, again, as I said, like all of the people that work on the development. And then on the other side, like all of the account management teams. So each of the customers that you work with, there are these incredible people's account managers that they work with the, with the customers on the day-to-day. So those are part of your stakeholders. And then you kind of bring the harmony to all of that. Um, that's really the role of a product manager. Thanks. I like how you managed to get stories into that as well, like telling the story of products. So it was, it was really yeah. going to start to see a bit of a theme happening here, to be honest. Um, okay, so I know that you also have a lot of experience of hiring product managers and mentoring product managers as well. Uh, what kind of, what kind, what, what are the challenges that you face in product management, first of all, I suppose? And what kind of skills do you look for in people when you're hiring for that position? Yeah, I would say the challenges um, are you're always in the middle and trying to balance out a lot of different constraints, requirements, and stakeholders. So to me, that's one challenge. And that's one area that when I look for a great product manager or someone who has a potential to be a great product manager, I want to make sure that this person can really balance out all of this. And again, to my previous point, bring almost harmony and peace. Um, Because you you have to be very comfortable with hearing no, getting pushbacks, whether it's from internal stakeholders, external stakeholders. And at the end of the day, you want to be the person who earned the trust of all these parties and kind of keep everything relatively calm and focus on the product and the user needs. So I think that's one challenge. The other one is I think a lot of people heard the idea of the lean MVP. So a product like, um, I think the product management books, they say, well, build the bicycle first, and then eventually it becomes a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of you can't build the ultimate product that the user thinks they need. You have to iterate till you get to that place. So as a product manager, you deal with sometimes a product that is not meeting all of the requirements of all of your users, but you want to test it out. And I think this can be sometimes challenging because the user might expect more or the stakeholders, depending on their role, they expect more. So how can you, again, tell that a story in a way that you earn their trust and them understanding that you're listening to them, you're taking the feedback and ultimately want to bring the best solution into the market. So for me, really, I when I hire product managers, I care less about are they using the right lingos and I care more about do they have the soft skills to work well with all, all the parties and being able to listen well and like tell a great story. I know I keep saying this, but as I grew in my career, I think that's one of the um, the important qualities that you can have. And I think MBA actually contributes to that because during the MBA, you present a lot. You talk to people from different backgrounds. So mm. that is storytelling really comes into play. Mm. So, I mean, this is an impossible question. I've asked this question to pretty much every guest I've spoken to on this podcast. And to be honest, I'm aware that it's impossible and nobody's been able to add for it well. But given all of the different things it sounds like you do as a product manager, what would you say a typical day in the life looks like uh, for what you do at the moment? Yeah. So one thing that I love about my job is that you 
don't really have a typical day. And that's really good. I think if you have the personality that you want uh, things to be dynamic and changing all the time, then I would say product management is the right um, mm. Uh, probably area for you. So my day usually is kind of a split between the customer discussion, customer meetings, which I love uh, to be able to talk to people from different banks, different fintechs, understanding their business, their needs. And then the other half of my time is working with our internal stakeholders. So understanding uh, what is the latest product that we are working on? What are the reportings that we have? um, And what what are some of the trends that we are seeing um, so that ultimately I can be knowledgeable enough to when I hear my customers sharing a feedback or sharing their needs, then I can say, oh, by the way, this is what's going on on our other side of product and kind of tying all of that together. So it's really kind of a split between working with internal and external stakeholders. Um, those That's usually how my typical days are. I mean, some, some days you focus more on one, kind of a stakeholder or one area but uh yeah that's kind of my day perfect thanks for that um so let's draw a line under that for now uh, we talked about your career all the way up to date there's one other thing that i'm really keen to talk to you about if that's all right i know you're passionate about tech and i know you've got your own podcast as well so can i ask you to talk about your podcast for a little while Yes, for sure. So, um, I mean, you're such a great host, by the way, that I know okay. now I need to up my skills in terms of being a host. But I'll take uh, it. in, in uh, November, I believe, November of last year, I decided to launch my own podcast, which is called Hummingbirds in Tech. It's available on Apple and Spotify. Um, and the the reason I started it was really twofold. One is... Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I learn a lot through the different podcasts. Uh, unfortunately, I'm really the person who has the patience to sit down and read a, read a book. I'm trying to change that about myself. Um, but so that was one reason. And then the other one was throughout my career, one thing that I've been very passionate about is how can we get people from diverse backgrounds and with very different profiles into tech and ultimately into tech leadership roles. Um, at some point in my in my career, I remember, as I said at the beginning, I did life science, engineering, and tech. So I had this moment of feeling, oh my God, I've done so many different things. Uh, this is not good. And I think even at some point in one of my interviews uh, with one company, they said, well, you worked in different areas of product management. Uh, you, you didn't stick in one area. And for that company and that person, that wasn't necessarily a positive thing that they were saying uh, about my experience. They had a question. So I had this moment of, is it okay that I've done so many different things? Um, and then I kind of, as I grew in my career and I, in my first episode, I talk about it. I listened to this other talk. I realized that is actually my strength. So the fact that I've done so many different things, I have different areas of passion. Those are all of the things that make me a better person, a better leader, a better product manager. Because as I think about the needs of the customers and users, I can kind of tie all of these things in my head based on my experience together and have more more empathy. Again, one thing that's important for product management is empathy. So my podcast is really focusing on showcasing multifaceted people in technology. So I had uh, one person who 
is a product manager in fintech right now, but he's also a great salsa dancer. He also does like uh, on Instagram, these uh, financial tips and like his following grew. Um, I talked to another person who was playing um, in MBA and now he's in fintech and uh, business manager. So I'm talking to someone next week, I believe, uh, who works at Google, wrote a book, but he's all, she's also a dancer, like a professional dancer. So sometimes I think it's it's easy to say, if I don't fit within that mold of what I think someone in tech should be, I can't be successful. Um, and I'm totally against that. And I want to make sure that people hear these stories, they get inspired and say, no, I, I can't be successful in tech. I totally relate to that, by the way. The whole kind of idea around doing the podcast, it's exactly what this podcast is about, hopefully, to be able to show people that, you know, Imperial alumni have gone and done things that they might want to do. And we're telling your story. We're, we're showing people what other people have done before them and hopefully inspiring people to go and take that journey themselves or take their own journey themselves. Exactly. Yeah. No, this, this, honestly, this initiative, uh, when you mentioned it to me first, I was so excited about it because I think uh, alumni at Imperial, they have such interesting stories. You really that I, do. I was talking to, to people at first, I started with my cohort. I'm like, oh my God, everyone is so accomplished that I, I feel I'm like, what have I done in my life? I look at everyone else. Um, and every one of them inspired me so much. I want to ask you about this. I think you've explained it a little bit already, this kind of concept of a hummingbird person. But I find it really interesting because you were talking at the start of this kind of interview and talking about what you did early in your career. Like you say, you went from life sciences to engineering to kind of um, technology and finance, things like that. You are a really good example of this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it took uh, it took me a couple of years. I mean, I guess it's part of getting older now. I'm very comfortable and in some way even proud of all of these different experiences. But I had moments earlier on that I'm like, Oh my God, am I am I lost? Why, why is it that I can't stick to one thing? Um, and now I just embrace it. Um, I actually have um, within our company, we're doing this like six months development plan. You will reflect on your career. And I was looking at it last night. Uh, and I'm actually going to like call out all these different things of, hey, these are the areas I'm interested. This is what I want to explore. Um, and I think that's one thing that MBA really encourages that. And as you also like, if I might like just give one piece of advice as you go into your career and you expand, like don't, don't constrain yourself and feel free to think about it as if it's an MBA. There are all these different modules you take. There are all these different opportunities. The same should go for your career. And if the ideal role that you want is not there immediately, you can craft your own role and make it into something that really leverages all your strength. It makes perfect sense as well because, you know, maybe the world used to be you decided what you wanted to do and you kind of threw yourself in that path and you had that path your entire life. And maybe you move jobs occasionally, maybe not, but it was always roughly. The world isn't like that anymore. People do have different things they do, different careers they have at different times and different interests that they pursue as well. So, I mean, yeah, if, if, if people haven't realized the world's changed and this is what the world is like now. Exactly. And I would say, like, plant all those seeds. Like, you never know. Uh, when, when the plants will grow. I mean, I when I was in Lisbon, I met with someone in our company and I learned some things about that market. And um, who knows, maybe at some point I work with this person, right? Like I think mm -hmm. it's being curious and uh, thinking about not necessarily what you can get immediately back to our point around networking that we we're talking about, but down the line, there might be an opportunity that you can create this perfect role for yourself that you've always been dreaming about it. And transferable skills are a real thing as well. I mean, surely 
in a product management position, it's useful occasionally to be able to think like an engineer, for example. Yeah, right? yeah. Did the, you take these things with you and they are relevant just because the qualification is different doesn't mean the skills involved in the role are too different. Exactly. No, you definitely got it. So basic question for you. Where do you think your passion for tech came from? Yeah, so I... I think there are a few things. I mean, initially when I started at Capital One, I wasn't necessarily thinking that I'm going to honestly like love tech as much as I do and all the opportunities because uh, fintech has been also growing so rapidly and especially the payment space. Um, for me, there are a few things. One is I like that problem solving skills. I like the problem solving aspect of it. The fact that there is always some challenge that you're solving for. Um, I think the opportunities are just endless, the problems that tech can solve. Uh, thinking about the fintech spa space and thinking about the impact that it has in different markets, like the in markets such as like growing markets, like let's say in Africa or in Middle East and in like in North America, each of these markets have different needs and there are different problems that we are solving. And I think when it comes to the payment space, for some of the small businesses, the problem that we solve, it has something that easily we can solve it. It has such immense impact for that a small business owner. It can help them to really drive revenue. That revenue will help them hire more people, um, like being able to secure like their family and all of that. So to me, there's an aspect of tech for good that I call it, that there are just so many there's so many ways that we can have a positive impact in the world through technology. Um, and I, I also think that it's in a space that is always dynamic, it's always growing. Um, so that makes it really exciting. And I think it's also in a space that we've come a long way into bringing diversity into it, but I think we can still do so much more to have diverse people to sit at leadership positions and they actually stay there and they hire more diverse people because then we have those diverse products and solve those um, problems that exist. But it's just to me is a very, is a very, is, is a way that I chose to help the world. And mm. I think on day-to-day -day basis, not every problem that I solve is a matter of life and death. Mm. Uh, but I think thinking about it in the grander scheme of things, um, I'm solving like payment problems and um, payments, pain points that exist in the world. And that means different things for each user. It might be as simple as mm -hmm. like my parents wanting to tap their mobile to be able to use the card pay for transaction, or it might be a business owner, let's say in Nigeria or in part of Africa that they just managed to have their first contactless payment. And now they can drive more business and safe, like secure payment solutions. Like all of those are ways that technology really allows that. And to me, it's very interesting. Mm. Remind us of the name of your podcast and where people can listen. <laughs> it's Hummingbirds in Tech and it's on Apple and Spotify. And uh, yeah, if anyone listened to this would like to be on my podcast, I would love to hear from you. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, let me give me your feedback on the podcast. <laughs> Good plug. Way to take advantage of it. Um, okay, so the last question for me, and I always ask this question to guests on this podcast, what advice would you have for current students? Or the other way to look at it is, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself before you started, what advice would you have? 
For sure. So if I would go back, um, there is one thing that I definitely would take advantage of, which I know Imperial has this opportunity. You have the opportunity to do one of the modules um, in a different country. So I think each year at at our time, it was uh, in Vietnam. So you would go, I believe it was a week that you would do a module in Vietnam. You get exposure to the businesses there and that market. And then I think you would write a paper on it and you would do rest of the module online. I did not take advantage of that opportunity, mainly because I said I'm busy with work, which Mm -hmm. it's not like I was a cardiologist. Even if I was a cardiologist, there was someone to fit in, uh, fill in for me. Um, So I would say definitely, definitely take advantage of that. I know people done Mm -hmm. Vietnam, Israel, uh, parts of China, maybe Hong Kong, they've done at Imperial. So definitely take advantage Mm -hmm. of that. And then the second thing advice is um, just really connect with your your cohort. Um, I think for the most part, I've done a good job, but I think I could have even done better and even be more proactive about it. Um, really, really enjoy that experience. Um, I have to say it's one of the best decisions I've made uh, for myself, both for my career and more than that, on a personal level, I am a completely different person in terms of how I think. And Mm. that's because of Imperial, because of my cohort, my professors. And the last thing that I would say is the, the biggest benefit that I got from my MBA was to really not think of any limits for what I can achieve and what is possible. When you sit in a cohort of 70, 80 people that they're all extremely accomplished in different businesses and different geographies, you just kind of understand how big the world is and what are some of the different things that you can do. Um, I mean, when I think about, I mean, I, I always loved UK and London specifically. So um, I always down the line thinking about what are some of the ways that I can do projects there? What are some of the ways that I can kind of like be between North America and London and all the opportunities? Like there's just so much that you can do. And that kind of limitless mindset almost is something that you get from your MBA. Zoe, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I was a little bit concerned at the start that getting two podcasters together to talk about a podcast was going to let, we were going to speak for hours and hours, but I think we've done pretty well. No, this was honestly one of my favorite podcasts that I've done so far. You're an excellent host. Uh, you're so curious, and it's just that always makes it so much easier uh, for the other person on the other end. Thank you so much for starting this, for having me, and I cannot wait to see your podcast grow and listen to other episodes. This episode's a good example of what happens when you get two podcasters in a room, and honestly, I could have spoken to Savi for a lot longer. I love her emphasis on people, and you can really hear how much she cares for the people around her. She must be a joy to work for. It's nice to speak with someone who truly understands the value of stories too. And like I said, that forms the whole basis of this podcast, bringing the stories of people like Savi to hopefully inform, yes, but also inspire listeners like you. Networking's becoming a running theme in this series, so I won't talk about it too much, but I will say that it really isn't about what you can get right there and then, but it's about building relationships that could well bear fruit in the future, and if not, the relationship itself is a positive outcome. It's a win-win for everyone. Hearing about Sabi's own podcast was great too, and I do love that concept of a hummingbird person. Yeah, you might know exactly what you want to do right now, and you fully intend to go on and do it, and that's great, it really is. But for a lot of us, myself included, it's reassuring to hear that all of your experience is just as valuable, regardless of what you do next. 
Huge thank you again to Savi for joining me on the podcast. And of course, thanks for listening. I've been Chris Roberts, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>